Annyeong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. Uh, I am your host, Darren, and today I'm joined by two lovely guests. First of all, I have Christopher Barrot. Hello, Christopher. Annyeong. And I have Malcolm <laughs> Nygaard. Hello, Malcolm. Annyeong, Darren. This episode was broadcast on the 14th of March, 2004. It's written by Brad Copeland, who I've spoken about before, because he uh, he's written two other episodes up to this point. Um, he'll write another three for season two. I'll mention, as I have done previously, that he um, he ended up going on to write Wild Hogs and Yogi Bear. Aww. So, um, yeah, Aww. I know. Well, at least he got six episodes of Arrested Development under his belt. Yeah. The director is uh, John Fortenbury, um, and this is his only episode that he directs in season one, but he will return for season three, and he actually directs the final ever episode um, of this show when it was airing on Fox. Uh, I should state. Um, he directed the films um, A Night at the Roxbury and Jury Duty, the um, uh, Paulie Shaw joint. Oh, wow. Uh, Absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah, so so there you go. Um, One of the few. Yeah, that's, that's John Fortenbury for you. Um, I'm going to read out the summary that is given in the DVD uh, menu. Uh, and for this particular episode, which is called Staff Infection, which is the... The, uh, the 15th episode, uh, it is as follows. After discovering that most of the family picks up weekly paychecks from the Bluth Company, even though they don't have jobs, Michael tries to put them all to work. Um, and I think that's quite a neat summary of exactly what happens. I mean, the main the main thing is Michael trying to figure out the subdivision for Phase 3, which I, I find in Arrested Development, anything to do with the actual development is sort of meaningless, because we've had talk of like phase one and we've had talk of you know there's there's various things that that michael is always pursuing and trying to do and none of them ever really come back in any substantial manner um but yeah so that's that's kind of michael's main story um and then we get you know job and buster as as is stated in the 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 dvd summary they they're put to work and they they uh they decide to work outdoors on the on the site and um, we get the start of a little a mini storyline, which I think starts in this episode and resolves either in the next one or the one after that, which is Tobias checks himself into a men's penal colony. Um, and this will be also the start of a running joke, um, possibly one of my favourite running jokes, which is Warden Gentles has um, a script that he keeps trying to get to people. And he's, he finds out that Carl Weathers, um, you know, knows Tobias. And he, he, he insists that, uh, you know, this script, he wants to try and get it to Carl. Um, which, you know, it's it's such a stupid joke. And we'll later on in the show, we'll get to see the actual script of New Warden by Warden Stefan Gentles. And it is, it is really good. It's like, it's such a perfect joke. Um, the, the kind of type of... Play. And I, I think... I think that joke is uh, underlined by the fact that it is, in fact, the new order played by James Lipton. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is his first episode, um, but we'll get into him in a little bit. First of all, I want to ask both of you, um, and I'll start with Malcolm. Uh, did you watch this show when it was on Fox, when it was airing, you know, or did you come to it on DVD? Did you come to it? You know, before when it was streaming, or you know, right. at what point did you become a fan of Arrested Development? I've pretty much never watched any tv at all i've sort of always been a movie guy and then later in life just catching up on fox season or or netflix uh, i think someone in my dorm at college uh probably just lent me 
season one and you know one of those what i can't believe you haven't scenarios and just made me catch up <laughs> right. and uh yeah so i was it, i don't know it may have been out for a little bit then or i'm not sure what what year that would have been but yeah it was one of those early binge experiences for me and i hadn't really watched a ton of sitcoms thankfully i'd missed a lot of the really cookie cutter stuff from a few years before but yeah this it I definitely hadn't seen anything like it. And then, you know, obviously, I'm sure you've said it many times by now, but then The Office and other things come out that sort of have a really loose camera and a lot of zooming that feels documentary-like, even though there aren't really the interviews or anything like that. But at the moment, I hadn't seen anything like it. And Chris, when did you first come to it? Uh, I'm kind of similar to Malcolm, though more uh, nefarious. Uh, I was aware slightly of the show when I was on, but uh, it first was running when I was in high school. But a year or two later, I went to college and was living in the dorms, and uh, you know we had the campus file sharing, and someone had put all of Arrested Development up, and that's how I came to both Arrested Development and a few other of those classic, you know, canceled before their t- time shows. I th- we may we are kind of, we're the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we start with George, Michael, and Michael on one of their Saturday morning bike rides. It's been a tribute, you know. Many times we've seen them riding bikes. Uh, Buster made a bike, you know. Everyone's everyone's all about bikes. We're finding out that that you know Michael basically is starting to work weekends, and he's riding along in the stair car with George Michael <laughs> riding his bike next to him, and George Michael's, you know, like uh, you know, Dad, you don't have to drive so slow. And Michael is like, this actually doesn't go any faster. And um, this is like this kind of the solid start of many of the because we've had the stair car up until now, but it's kind of been um, mostly stationary. Curiously enough, up until this point, I've I've noticed. So this is one of the first times where we're actually seeing the stair car moving, um, and this is where we start to get the jokes about how slow it is, um, uh, you know. And <laughs> Michael gets distracted answering his phone, and. He goes to turn away because his mother's called him. <laughs> he basically almost runs his son over. Um, he starts yelling, Dad, Dad, to get his attention. And I love Jason Bateman's delivery here of... Uh, nice and stick, son. Good reflexes. Like, that's a compliment that he's managed to avoid being run <laughs> over by his father. This episode has a strong... Um, Michael George Michael kind of story in it. This is essentially the only time we'll really see them in the episode until we get to like the wrapper because their their stories kind of divert. And this is something that I've noticed, in, particularly in the first season, happens a lot. You get a lot of Michael and George Michael together at the beginning, and then you get them at the end when they both realise that if they had just spoken to each other at some point during the episode, they could have avoided a lot of trouble. Um, you know, in particular with uh, with Jesse, um, but. Yeah, so this opening, I just love how kind of ridiculous it is with the stair car driving along and, you know, it's it's like a really strong opening to this episode. Um, and we get a quick cut to Lindsay, who is looking around for everybody and, you know, she, she looks around to, uh, to find maybe or Michael or Tobias. Um, she, no one is home because, uh, you know, people are on bike rides. Or in the case of Tobias, he's been cast playing Frightened Inmate number two. And this is one of the storylines that has kind of started a few episodes ago and is is starting to kind of build up some steam here. 
where Tobias is rehearsing his lines, saying, I ain't going to squeal, man. I ain't going to squeal. And, um, you know, he says he's not frightened, and, he, and Lindsay tries to scare him. Well, she says, F*** me. So we've gotten no closer to the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um... Appease the censors. Tobias is like, I'm not scared. You know what I ought to do? I ought to check myself into a men's penal colony. Perhaps... Your father could get me in. Which is a weird thing to distinguish because he... It's not like he could check into a women's prison, but um, that's kind of the start of the two storylines. What are your guys' thoughts about like the opening of this, uh, this episode? Well, I kind of had an interesting experience watching this overall, and maybe as we speak, the elements will all fall into place. But So I haven't seen the show in a while, and so I just watched this one for, the ep- for this episode, and it was really weird because it seemed like the most typical run-of-the-mill Arrested Development episode. George and um, Michael and George Michael just trying to communicate and try and balance work and family life. Tobias chasing acting. You know, James Lipton's appearance. All these things that were happening, uh, trying to put a bunch of Mexican people on a bus. One person thinks they're immigrants and one, you know, whatever. (laughs) All that kind of stuff seems to be the exact sample of the show. And then as we're speaking, I'm realizing this was the first time driving the stair car. This was the first appearance of James Lipton. Like this, this founded Anyang and a lot of other stuff. But to me, just watching the one isolated, it's like, yeah, this is exactly base level arrested. I mean, and then, but, but in, in the scope of everything, it, it started a lot of stuff. So it was interesting. In an arrested de- development style call ahead, it's also the first instance of perhaps the best physical gag, recurring physical gag in the show. This is a start of a, so many things. They introduced An Young in the previous episode, but this is the first time where, you know, he's he's used for the purpose that he's meant to be, which is to make Buster jealous. Like this, that's the, the start of this storyline is making Buster jealous. Um, but yeah, so like there was there is a lot of stuff that starts in this episode, um, and that's for you know for a very specific reason, which is. This is this is the start of the the, the kind of the final eight episodes, um, to, as we head towards the the season one finale. Um, you know, once Michael arrives at his mother's, uh, after Lindsay has seen a note from Tobias, because of course, you always leave a note, and um, we see we see An Young, um, <laughs> who Lucille is uh, combing the hair of, and this is making Buster jealous, you know. Uh, he's he's like you know, and I guess I can comb my own hair, which is like such a, a weird thing for a thirty-year-old man who's barely got any hair <laughs> yeah. to be saying to his mother. Like it's not that he 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 can't comb his own hair; it's the fact that he's thirty-one or whatever, whatever age he is at this particular point. He shouldn't need his mother to comb his hair, um, and it's telling that Lucille is only doing this. You get one of those typical zoom-ins, like right when he starts talking to, in the style <laughs> of the rest of the show, just like a. And he's kind of just like slumped over, looking straight at the ground almost, just in between two pillars, just this awkward placement. They make it very explicit that uh, his purpose is to make Buster jealous because the opening conversation with Michael and Lucille on the phone is all about how she does not want this kid and he's got to, you know, get them to take him back. Lucille tells us why she's combing his hair, and that's because he's going to go off and work for 10 hours and she wants him to look nice. Oh, that's right. Which... It's not in any way appropriate for what is supposed to be a child. And then, of course, Buster says, 
and this is my this is the start of, I mean they did this a little in the previous episode where Buster got angry at it but this is where we get it as a casual joke which is Buster says you've got a job Anyong and Anyong says Anyong and Buster goes Anyong and then Buster, and then Anyong goes Anyong and that will continue for the rest of the show whenever Anyong is in sight and people talk about him and say his name he will just reply with Anyong um we also get the line where uh, Buster refuses to work at the banana stand because he's a... Uh, I enjoy scholarly pursuits. Which, of course, leads to Lucille to say... <sighs> Suddenly playing with yourself is a scholarly pursuit. Uh, which is such a, a like a, a funny put-down. Because, you know, Lucille called him over. I, I just love the way she has no kind of self-awareness in this particular moment. Where, you know, Michael asks what's, you know, she basically, Lupe uh, um, has got this family reunion and, you know, they they want to they wanna go on a bus and uh, Lucille says, We can't have them hanging around like a bunch of freeloaders looking for an easy buck. And Michael says, what's the emergency, Mom? And she goes, I need money. And I, I love how angry she gets at Lupe's family for being a bunch of freeloaders and then immediately... She is a freeloader herself, and it's such yeah. a such a perfectly timed piece of satire. Uh, and this is this is where Michael finds out the big kind of driver of the episode, which is everyone has been getting a paycheck, and Kitty is absent. Something which is explained in the cutscene. Um, we find out that Kitty is at Burning Man, and she had put this in her diary, <laughs> foolishly <laughs> work diary, saying that she was going to be at Burning Man, but she'd also given a note to say that she was going to be sick on those days. Um, you know, which is a, a funny little bit of business. Um, and because Kitty's not there, no one is getting their paychecks. You know, Lucille is the first to say, I'm not getting my paycheck. And Michael, of course, is surprised to find out that his mother is getting a paycheck. Um, and she says, it's important to the company that I keep up the image of my lifestyle. And Michael, he he mimics his brother here and he says... Illusion, Mom. Which I, I love the kind of when characters kind of switch jokes. Right, and I think it was important that Job hasn't said that in this episode, so it doesn't... It's not too yeah. soon. Yeah. It's just a, it's a little reward for paying attention. <laughs> and having like a, a, a line uh, that is said by multiple different members of the family at different points in different contexts is a big thing in the show. Yeah. But I think this is the only time, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, where anyone besides Joe does that whole illusion. <laughs> you know, Michael figuring out that, that he is paying Lupe via his mother by her getting a paycheck, he decides that he will let Lupe, to, you know, pick up the, the family in the, um, the Bluth parking lot. Her family are going to Catalina, um, I now I'm not quite sure what Catalina is, but we're told that it's the uh, wildlife populated island of Catalina. I assume it's like a like a day trip, like you can get like a ferry there or something. Right. Well, yeah, because they, they they do get on the ferry a little later. So yeah, I've, I'm not a Californian either. But I lived in California for a while when I was very young, but uh, don't recall ever going to Catalina. <laughs> you, never, you never went to Catalina. And one of those petting zoos was particularly disastrous for, for Buster, we find out, in a, a little, um, a, a four little quick shots of a, a photo booth where Buster is getting his picture taken and he's he's interrupted by a llama, I think? That's a sheep. Is, that, I think, that's a sheep. sheep. Okay, because it makes the, yeah, because they the do bar the, the, gag the, later. Bar, yeah. the bar gag later. The bar Yeah, I'm not sure why. <laughs> Anyways, there's, there's, so a sheep, ha- there's a sheep motif in two ways in this episode that, that you, oh yeah, all of a sudden starts to get stitched together at the end and... 
it's you're like why did the writers think of that why did they decide to have two sheep things <laughs> happening simultaneously i don't really know that makes me laugh <laughs> but this this little visual joke of buster at catalina is then also reflected with lucille who um went to get a uh, a, a card for quantity plus and uh, she also had to take a picture and she similarly gets interrupted by someone poking into frame um and uh, yeah, Lucille was humiliated, but we find out later on that she did get the card and she is shopping at Quantity Plus. Um, and so, you know, with with everything set up, um, Buster then t- also lets slip that uh, he isn't getting his paycheck. And, you know, if he's going to come to the office or if they're going to post it. And and so, you know, Michael says, you've got to be kidding me. All right. You know what, Buster? Bob in the copy room, he quit today. If you want your money, you're going to have to work for it. And Buster says, Okay, I accept. I'll take that job. I will work in the copy room. And then, of course, Lucille says, I wouldn't go in there without knocking, Michael. Uh, which is a great way to, to, to end that act. And uh, we get the first instance in the next scene where Michael's in a meeting of uh, this phrase which will be repeated by both him and George Michael uh, numerous times throughout this episode where... Uh, Michael insists that they've got to keep their heads down and power through, you know, and sacrifice. And uh, <laughs> it's so funny that this just keeps... They keep saying it to everyone, and I'm not quite clear what powering through and sacrifice is, but uh, it's clear that, that a number of the uh, the Bluth children have not made any sacrifice in this particular circumstance. Right. Um, and Lindsay, you know, having seen that Tobias has gone to work, she decides to come to work. And she turns up at the Bluth Company uh, looking for her paycheck. And she says, I usually ask Kitty, but she's not around. And you're the only one I've ever seen here before. (laughs) Which I think, in front of all the employees that are in the meeting, I think is quite a kind of dismissive line to say. Um, And I love the dynamic here of, like, how Lindsay ended up working for the company, which obviously she, you know, she doesn't actually work for them. Where she says, Dad hired me out of college. and And Michael says, you quit college. And she goes, yeah, well, I had a job. What was the point? And um, I love that kind of bluff logic of getting a job for, you know, being essentially... I'm assuming she was being hired because she was going to be a college graduate, but then not graduating because she had a job. And it's just right. such a weird kind of, like, <laughs> circle that, that, that the Bluths will have a tendency to fall into where they'll stop doing something because they think they've already done something else uh, that deserves, you know, them getting that. We've seen this previously in an episode where... Lindsay got the um, the gig for the the fire sale, and she basically yeah. went out and spent the money from the job for doing the fire sale before she actually had done the job, and then she missed the job and she didn't get the money. So uh, this is you know, and I I love the little exchange where uh, Lindsay says, you know, it's Friday, everyone coasts on Friday, and Michael says actually it's Saturday. She goes finally I'm out of here. I'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs> it shows the level of commitment she has to this job that she's now kind of got. Michael puts her on the phones, but she insists on being in the meeting um, to disastrous effects because she immediately says, you know, um, are these fluorescent lights bothering anyone else besides me? <laughs> and obviously this is where Michael has a problem trying to keep the staff on focus um, where, you know, Lindsay wants to change all the lighting because, you know, um, what is this, the tiny town from Footloose? And whereas Michael just wants people to, you know, 
work basically put your head down <laughs> power to... through <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's trying to ask her to go to the desk and he says be like buster he's been in the copy room i haven't seen him all day um and we get a, a little quick kind of cut here where we see buster in the copy room and everyone keeps asking for bob over and over again mm-hmm. and as it builds up each bob starts to turn into the sound of a sheep barring in fact buster had grown anxious in the confined space of the copy room <laughs> And we're getting the uh, flashes of light from the copier. Yeah. The flashes of light of the photo booth. Yeah, that is, that's, yeah. Just one of those great little details that they they do. Yeah. Again, for half the sheep references in this episode. (laughs) 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 How do you think to do that? And uh, we find out that, you know, Buster needs a different job because he's having trouble. Um, working in a, an indoor space, um, <laughs> but also also anticipates having troubles with outdoor spaces. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then of course Buster says, "What else do you have <laughs> other than indoors and outdoors?" Which I just I just love how he doesn't seem to understand that that's everything. In between that, we get George Michael who is working at the banana stand. Um, he's now got two employees, um, or he's about to get a second one because he's got uh, maybe. And uh, soon he'll have Anyong. And, you know, maybe he's basically trying to make him feel bad um, <laughs> because she's bored, um, as is maybe's want. And, you know, she says to, to George Michael, I guess he just likes work more than he likes you, <laughs> which is a, a kind of quintessentially cruel maybe line. He calls her on it. There's not enough maybe in this episode. I think there's a, there's a little bit later on, but there's not really that much maybe. Anyway, I'm going to cover as much of the Tobias stuff in one go because it's only a couple of brief scenes. We get to Tobias, um, who has gone into the men's penal colony um, and is preparing uh, you know, to work. And he has a letter of introduction from Carl Weathers, <laughs> which, uh, which I think is funny. And, of course, the narrator introduces us to James Lipton as... Fortunately, the new warden was an appreciator of the arts. And um, I don't know how you guys feel about James Lipton, but I think in this particular role, you know, inside the actor's studio, obviously you can have opinions about that and, you know, about kind of like how soft the questions are or kind of how pointless it is. But in this particular case, I think his voice um, and his kind of... uh, the way he talks is just perfect for this role because... Like it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> that he would be letting all these actors kind of stay in his prison to research roles, right. but it fits so perfectly with like the idea of uh, Warden Gentles. And I love when he hands the script to Tobias, and he says, "You know, um, I have this script. I'd love to get to Carl." David Cross's line reading of "Okay." It's kind of funny as he kind of accepts the script. When I watch this show, it's the same exact thing for me as Firefly, where it's such a solid ensemble cast that from minute to minute, I have a new favorite. Kind of whenever they're owning the episode, I, oh, that guy's my favorite now. That person's my favorite now. Um, To me, David Cross is the MVP in this one, because even his lines in this aren't even that hysterical. All the work he's doing are just micro expressions and little tiny choices of how to pump his fist a little bit or his body language or him getting excited at the wrong times. It's it's literally all him. If you looked at his script and gave it to somebody else, there it would be nothing to it. He'd be a side character. Um, 
He's yeah. running the whole thing with just himself. And, uh, like, if you just saw him from stand-up or whatever, I mean, he's a really funny guy, but to know that he could come on and just make this character up out of nothing that is so specific, uh, to me, he wins this one. And then, I don't know, I'll watch a different one, and it'll be somebody else. Well, we get, we get to see him later on where um, George Sr., who has recently converted, he is picking up new converts, the first of whom is Little Justice, who he's mm-hmm. now going to call David Ben Avram. And, you know, White Power Bill <laughs> objects to this happening, um, and he gives he gives uh, David Ben Avram uh, a yarmulke, which will apparently protect him, um, and then White Power Bill hits him over the head with a pipe. And um, <laughs> George Senior, uh, Jeffrey Tambor here, kind of delivering this whole thing about... Uh, There's the Jewish notion of heaven, and that, that it can be attained here on earth, and that... There is your belief in the cleansing power of the pipe. <laughs> it's such a kind of great line that he delivers to him. Um, but I, I just love how, you know, we get we get a we get a, a one of the, the classic kind of lines from uh, Arrested Development here is changed as of course White Power Bill demands no more teaching from you and George Senior says No teaching, no teaching. Um, and then of course this is when Tobias walks in and says, I'm here to study with you, to learn from you, teach me. <laughs> George Senior insists there will be no teaching, no teaching. <laughs> he just keeps repeating it. Uh, and then, of course, White Power Bill asks who Tobias is in a very specific manner, um, which is immediately bleeped. And I'm not going to say the word that was bleeped, uh, but Tobias mishears it as Tyke. And he says he is Dr. Tobias Funke, and here with your help, frightened inmate number two. And I love his description of White Power Bill with... And who is this shiny building of a man? <laughs> and then, of course, George Sr. says, Oh, I'm very scared right now. And Tobias goes, Oh, we're starting. Let me get something to write with. And runs off shot. And I think that is all we get of Tobias and George Sr. and White Power Bill in this particular episode until we get to the very, very end, uh, which we'll cover later. But yeah, I just I love the, the description of uh, shiny building of a man. I mean, that's just <laughs> such a... It's such a great turn of phrase it's fitting. for, um, you know, for, for, you know, like White Power Bill, because he is gigantic. Um, and he, he and uh, Little Justice will be in one more episode after this. This was the second episode to feature White Power Bill and Little Justice. Uh, so they have they have like this because they were there when, um, you know, when Job was in prison and obviously oh, yeah. White Power Bill helped Job escape. Um, in an unusual way, but Michael is—he's on the—he's um, on the site where Buster is enjoying himself, and I love the enthusiasm that Tony Hale has as Buster on while he's on the site. Everything he does here, he's super happy to do. Um, and as we find out later, you know, like when everyone finds out that, that Buster is actually getting paid, he's like, "We should be doing this for free. It's so much fun." Um, and he's—he's he's reinforcing the header. Um, and Michael just says that's great buddy and just like kind of ignores him like he's ignoring a child uh, once again Buster being treated as a kid by basically everybody here and the foreman you know explains that everyone hasn't been paid and obviously Michael says everyone's got to you know power through sacrifice <laughs> and uh, you know Job Job turns up um, I believe this is this is his entrance into this episode on his uh, yes. segue struggling to get through the dirt and kind of 
you see his Segway kind of revving as it tries to get over, and he keeps saying Michael each time he thinks he's going to come to a stop, but then he gets a little further. So he ends up saying Michael three times in a row before he gets to get to actually get to Michael. And he reveals that he, he found Michael because uh, he called the office, and he says that... You know, that kitty is starting to sound pretty damn sexy to me. Maybe I ought to... I was Lindsay. And they both stop for a second, and Job goes... Anyway, <laughs> and I, I kind of love that. Is this before or after the day that George Michael's answering the phones? Yeah, this is before. Yeah. That happens so that, later. So this is a right. setup to that gag coming up as well, sort of. Well, that must have been yeah. a that must have been a whole ordeal to coordinate as well, because I don't know. Maybe the Segway could roll over those holes pretty well, so he had to kind of struggle with it and make it harder than it was. And it's a great bit of physical comedy, just his body language of. It's already it already looks absurd the way he's kind of rolling around on it, but then he has to kind of look like he's he looks like he's digging or he's holding a jackhammer or something. It's it's great. <laughs> and um, at this particular point, uh, Job wonders how Buster is you know doing construction, and he says to him he's like the world's biggest chicken, and then he does this at the start <laughs> of you know what will grow during this episode into a full out dance where he just starts clapping his hands together and going um, and then Buster insists he's not a chicken and Michael says he just doesn't like confined spaces and Job says I thought it was open spaces and Buster goes no it's both <laughs> um, and then in what I feel is a bit of a meta joke um, Tony Hale is known for not really swearing there's been episodes where it's appeared that he's been swearing because he's been bleeped out um, but in those cases, he's mostly just saying the alphabet. Um, and in this case, he doesn't swear, but he talks about the language these guys use. And he says, rough. And he says, uh, one of the guys told me to get my head out of my bottom and get back to work. And then he just starts laughing and just goes, my bottom. <laughs> and uh, so I think I think the fact that you know Buster is not repeating the exact language that was probably used in that circumstance is possibly a little bit of a commentary on uh, on Tony Hale and his... Aversion to swearing, basically. Um, and then, obviously, you know, Job is only there for paycheck. And, you know, he says he, he, he takes cash under the table. But if you can make a check out to cash. <laughs> and then, obviously, you know, uh, Michael basically tells him that if he wants it, he's going to have to work for it. Um, and that is that is that's kind of what Job will start doing, which will lead to a conflict later in the episode between Job and uh, Buster. Um, and when Michael returns to the office, Lindsay somehow has taken over. I mean, she was only meant to be answering the phones, but she's ended up being in charge somehow. <laughs> um, you know, well, and... She's taken over. I was going to say, she's taken over because as Michael explicitly states at that point, all the employees are sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and Lindsay has decided to lead them. Um, most notably, we we meet um, Ted, played by uh, Charlie Hartsock, who is an employee who will appear in um, a couple of episodes each season. Um, this is the first time we get to meet him. He wants to know if they can have pizza. And, of course, Lindsay says, I'm taking you out to lunch, the whole staff. And Ted's like, we have to go to lunch, guys. And literally everyone in the office starts saying that as they all start to leave. Um, when Michael returns, he wonders what's happened to the lights. And I have to say, it's not something that I ever really notice about this office, but it is quite fluorescent. But in this case, it does look really kind of like soft lit. And um, it, it's like it's kind of very noticeable. And, um, you know, Lindsay says that, you know, it makes you want to curl up and forget about the world, which is obviously not what you're meant to be doing if you've come to work on a Saturday. You know, you're really trying to get 
um, work. And this is where Michael says, you know, like, you know, these people are sheep. Um, you know, they'll wander off and you'll lose them. And then, she, and then he says, you've lost a sheep, as they basically are all in the elevator, like, leaving the building. Um, and in a, a classic bit of kind of um, people getting mixed up, the staff end up on the bus that is meant to be taking Lupe to a family reunion, um, thinking that, that it was reserved for them. Uh, and it's worth noting that this bus is from the Church of the Good Shepherd, which we will find out later on. Um, oh, I didn't even in, notice that connection. Oh, no. In the second season <laughs> is the church that Shepherd. Pastor Terry Veal lectures at. But also, yes, it is a bus that is literally a shepherd. Oh, I don't even know how I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> it's real quick. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's the point of this podcast, Malcolm, is to pick up on these things. This is why it's so difficult to watch the show once or, like, in random order. <laughs> Later on, that church will come back as where the uh, the veals the veals are uh, are the pastors of that particular church. So they, they use that a second time later on. Um, and obviously, you know, Lindsay, she reassures her brother that she can, you know, forward the, the phone call from the zoning committee. Um, you know, there's no reason for him to be in the office, uh, that he should just go and, you know, spend some time with his son. And, um, you know, Michael says, try not to bring the whole company down as, as he leaves. And then we cut to the feds in uh, one of their classic blending vans. Um, and, and they say, the place is empty. Let's get in there and bring this company down. <laughs> Which, you know, is almost like a Gilligan cut in terms of someone saying something and then someone repeating it. Um, and, you know, at this particular point, An Yong is now working in the stand. And, um, you know, George Michaels has said that they're going to have to restock the nuts tonight, which is such a weird... I don't know why this would take a long time, but apparently it will because they've got to power through and keep their heads down, um, you know, and sacrifice. And maybe, like her mother, this is this is kind of a nice little parallel here. She reassures George Michael that he's okay. You know, he doesn't have to be here. An Young, um, and maybe we'll take care of whatever needs doing. And uh, we get we get, of course, the kind of weird thing where An Young says, "He no have father. Old lady adopt him too." To which maybe says, "No, he have father. Father no love him." <laughs> George Michael says, "No, he love me." I'm- corrects himself and says loves me he loves me and i just think it's funny how quickly like everyone's imitating this this weird the kind of um uh, speech patterns of of anyong um and then obviously you know anyong describes his journey where he says that he went to the beach once and then next thing he know he's in a crate next to pig <laughs> which uh, i think like kind of maybe in um uh, and george michael kind of give him a bit of a weird look for that and then obviously we get the kind of George Michael heads to the Bluth Company just as Michael is heading to the banana stand. There's a like a really good joke where Mike, we see the banana stand from afar and Michael is talking to maybe an Anyong and we see on the screen it says hello very quickly like a little um, subtitle like flashes up because obviously someone said Anyong's name and he said Anyong and they've they keep it even at a distance he gets the um, he gets the little subtitle. Um, <laughs> 
And in between, Lucille returns home uh, saying Lupe, Buster, and Yong, hello. Which, as you said, yeah, it could be listing four people or listing three people. We're not sure. And yeah. she wants someone to help unload the car uh, to the point where she starts calling up relatives of Lupe asking if they're still alive just so they can come over and unload the car, uh, which is the level of desperation that um, Lucille, you know, wants her booze, basically. Well, to be fair, she's bought a bulk quantity of booze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of booze that needs to be unloaded, basically. Now, on the, the, um, uh, on the site, we get a confrontation between Job and Buster, which occurs when <laughs> Job decides... That um, after unsuccessfully trying to hammer two pieces of wood together with a nail, he has his pride uh, and he doesn't care how much they're paying him. And uh, obviously, you know, the foreman says, I thought we were making sacrifices. And, you know, (laughs) I love how Job kind of becomes an agitator, despite the fact that he is basically part of the problem, where he starts saying it's time for some of the big shots at the Bluth Company to start making some sacrifices. (laughs) And he is a big shot at the Bluth Company, you know. So I just love, I just love that. Um, and obviously, Buster is um, not happy with the construction stopping because he's really enjoying it. You know, he says we should just do this for the fun. Um, and this is when, uh, on the site, we get a conflict between two of the family members as Job has caused this disruption. And um, you know, with Buster saying, "Come on, you douchebags, we're all on the same team," which I think is such a great line because that's not the way to motivate people. But anyway. Uh, you know, but Buster this is him trying to fit in with the word he just learned. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, um, this is where Job calls, says he's a chicken, and you know he starts doing the whole Coca 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 thing, and then Buster says, "My whole life you've called me a chicken, but that's over now." And Job keeps just going Coca 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 Coca, and just keeps starts dancing and clapping his hands, and Buster gets angry. Saying, you know, that's not what a chi- that's not how a chicken sounds, which is correct because it's not. And saying chickens don't clap, chickens don't clap. It's notable that of all the family members, uh, Buster is the only one in the run of the series who will never do any kind of chicken impression. Um, he or or a dance of any kind. <laughs> he, uh, he 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 never ever ha- finds occasion to do it. And I think because mostly from now on after this episode, uh, all of the chicken dancing is directed at Michael. And Buster has, you know, a lot of admiration for his brother and he doesn't see him as a chicken. So, um, and then obviously the foreman comes up with possibly one of my favourite deliveries of a line in, the, in this series, which is... We got our own way of finding out who's a chicken. But a little game we like to call chicken. <laughs> it's such a kind of ridiculous kind of build up to like this game. Um, and obviously, you know... Uh, Job is kind of taunting Buster saying it's a game of courage, a game for men and Buster says I'm ready and then he's like oh my my seat doesn't have a cushion and uh, they will they will get in these, these diggers and they are basically going to drive them very slowly towards each other um, so slowly that we will actually cut in between scenes and keep coming back and they'll still be driving them slowly um, and you know Lindsay when when George Michael turns up, she thinks it's Michael, and, and she's trying to say it wasn't my fault, and um, you know everything was humming along, and you know George Michael says my dad was waiting for a call. Why didn't he stay here? And Lindsay says, oh, he can get that call anywhere, not really realizing kind of how hurtful that is to George Michael, you know, kind of realizing that his dad. I don't think he was lying. I think you know Michael wanted to wait 
in the office to get the call rather than be out and about, uh, particularly as he had no receptionist to forward the call to him. So he couldn't leave the office until Lindsay took that job on. Um, and then obviously, you know, we find out that uh, Michael um, <laughs> is is out at the beach um, building up units, trying to figure them out, um, you know, uh, and he ends up on a revelation of just building one big pool rather than a lot of small pools. I don't know if that was really a problem that needed to be solved by going to the beach and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, I guess it is. Uh, we find out, of course, that Lindsay... She sees Lupe's family, she gets the stair car, and she basically loads them all up into the stair car and decides to take them to the the site uh, to, uh, to to basically bring in some scabs to the, the shutdown. Um, and then, you know, Michael gets called from the office by his son. Um, you know, he says, I'm in charge, uh, there's nobody here, and Lindsay had to go to the construction site because the work stopped. And then Michael says that they're never going to finish phase three. Everything's going to fall apart. The whole thing's going to cave in. So he ha- he is kind of seeing it as the end of the world, essentially, like them not being able to complete phase three, which, again, is something that they never really come back to. And um, I love that he says... Great. Now my sandcastle has a giant pool in it. And that's when Michael saw the solution to his space problem. I gotta go, buddy. And George Michael's just sitting there on the phone and he goes... Making a sandcastle? And I love how he... Like, twice it's been inadvertently revealed to George Michael that his father is basically not even in work and now he finds out that he's making sandcastles. Um, and then we, we get, like, uh, you know, a touching moment as George Michael looks in, you know, his father's drawer. I don't know what he was looking in there for... And he finds uh, all the artwork that he'd made for him um, over the years that is, you know, stored in his desk drawer. Just point out that and it includes a sheep. Oh, yes. Come yeah. on. Yeah. There's like a little, there's the, a little kind of fluffy sheep it. on the top. I saw the sheep. No. <laughs> and this is the moment that the uh, investigations. The investigators, the federal investigators, we're never quite told who, but they basically spring into action. They grab the evidence, which is basically all of um, George Michael's artwork, and then they exit very quickly. Um, and we get the conclusion where everyone turns up to the uh, the construction site, basically. Uh, you know, Job's showdown, they say, reaches a dramatic conclusion, which just basically means that the tractor and digger basically just hit each other and nothing else happens because obviously these are two very slow moving vehicles they're not there's no force behind them they're just moving slowly towards each other i think that was my least favorite gag uh i think the writing overall yeah i think that well the, the writing overall is really good uh it's one of those things where i love it visually and it's you know it's funny to have both of them be completely unfamiliar with the vehicles and have the seat cushion but if if you pursue it at all there's no reason that any two other construction workers would do this uh you know if if any of them had done it before and played chicken they would see that it's a useless game so putting these two through it 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 doesn't track for me it just kind of seems only for tv but not that the the characters might have actually done it before so i i kind of have like disbelief in that it doesn't work as well but um 
it it's it's in and out pretty quick and then they sort of literally just get their standstill and then get to move on this is actually a joke that calls out to a film that has been mentioned in this episode because in footloose there is a game of chicken that is played with tractors okay um, oh really, really? It was tractors so, too yep chicken oh. with tractors oh boy uh, you can you can google it chicken with tractors footloose and you'll see the scene and uh, yeah, so it, it's just it's just a, a stupid call out to a film, basically. Sure. Um, you know, any other barnyard animals the... coming up we should know about? We've had chicken and sheep a few times each. <laughs> <laughs> now I think I think we get to we get to the end now where um, you know there's mention again of Catalina. Obviously, the the workers who will be stuck on the island of Catalina are being herded around by an actual shepherd at the end. So that's the final kind of call. With back sheep to them. dogs, yeah, with sheep dogs, kind of just barking at them to get them to go where he needs to get them. Um, now they say that Job saw his for the first time. Job saw his brother as a man, and Job's like, "Let's get back to work." And obviously, the construction workers are like, "Go to hell!" Like, why would this game of chicken make them want to go back to work? I don't know. But anyway, this is where Lindsay turns up with you know all of the Mexican laborers. She calls them a stair car full of Mexican laborers. And Lupe's uncle says, um, I'm a professor of American studies at the University of Mexico City. And I love how quickly he delivers that line. It's such a great line. And, of course, Buster says, I took a dance class there. Because, of course, you know, he's a scholar who enjoys scholarly pursuits. Um, the perpetual grad student. Yeah. And then, obviously, the foreman is like, you bring in scabs. And then, obviously, this is where Michael, should, you know, he shows up saying, Shut it, we're shutting it down. Um, you know, and everything's in the wrong place and he's got to put in one communal swimming pool and, you know, Lindsay was right, they've been working too hard, you know, maybe we can get uh, a party. And, of course, everyone starts cheering because they think they're going to get a party and Michael has to say, I didn't mean tonight, you know, I mean when we've got some extra food and liquor. And then, obviously, Lucille shows up trailing Lupe, saying she needs help with the groceries and, uh, obviously, Lindsay just says, well, how about liquor? Because they know their mother... You know, she will. It, when groceries to her is just bulk buying liquor, and this is where we get, uh, you know, father and son reunited as George Michael finally ends up, you know, um, back with his father at the end of the episode. And uh, Michael says, you know, I've been dying to get some time with you. I really have, and I love that line because obviously, you know, Michael works hard, but he always is trying to think of his son. He's, you know, they were on the bike ride at the beginning of the episode, so he was he was trying to keep some time with his son going. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, George Michael says, That's okay, I, I know how much you care about me. Unfortunately, so does the federal government. And then he goes, one more punch. And then of course, you know, Michael goes, sure. And he goes, hey, the feds? And I just love this kind of, they both take a little second to realise what the other one is talking about. And I, I, I kind of like that as like the final gag of, of uh, of the episode. So George Michael's drinking whatever Lucille bought to mix. I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <cup>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say he's probably just drinking like tonic water or something. Um, <laughs> Cuz that's probably all she she'd buy as a mixer. All right. Uh, and then we get the on the next uh episode of an arrested development and Tobias gets an insight into fear. And um you know Tobias is like, well, let's discuss the bunking situation. And then White Power Bill says, you'll be sleeping under me for a while. And George Sr. says, I sold you for a pack of cigarettes. Uh, you know, which is kind of the cruelest that George Sr. is to Tobias. Um, and it's worth noting, this is one of the very few scenes, like up until this point in the show, this is one of the very few times where there's been a sustained interaction between 
um, George Senior and Tobias. Up until this point, they've always been with other members of the family because obviously most times Tobias doesn't need to be in any of the meetings that the family are having. Um, something that Lindsay occasionally says directly to him, I didn't want you at this meeting. <laughs> Because um, I don't think we ever actually see George Senior. Yeah, I was going to say. I was wondering if it was an expression no. or it meant for something else, or no. I think it's just that it's currency in um, in prison, isn't it? Yeah. That's my impression. Well, yeah, t- you don't like, typically, to, but you don't I, need I to wonder, smoke them. You but know? that's not much. You can always just have them. Well, yeah. He doesn't have like gold bars in another episode. Yeah, he doesn't right, have gold bars I, I almost wonder if it's just like uh, yeah. an expression for him. But it really turns into, and like a more of a power. It doesn't get shown, but it could be more of a pack of cigarettes could mean a truce between two prison gangs or this amount of turf. Or yeah. let me use the gym from this time to that time. It, anything like that. Um, no, I think all, he all literally Tobias just sold him for. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it is. It's like that's how little he values him. He just sold him for this one pack of cigarettes. Like most oh. things would require twenty or thirty packs or something, but just. That's how little he thinks of of uh, of Tobias. Um, and then, you know, we, we see the employees um, who are basically lost, as Ted tells this shepherd. And uh, he says that he can give them a ride back into town. And then Bugs and Banjo, his uh, dogs, they herd the, uh, <laughs> the workers into the, into the truck. Um, and that's the end of the episode. And I, I just think it's funny that... Um, there is a song that is put under the soundtrack, which is like, um, I, I think the title of it is just called Get Along. And it just it just is like a, a kind of like, every time you see the employees on Catalina, you just hear this little song and it plays over the end credits. And it's just kind of like, it, it does sound kind of like a, like a Western song, like something you'd hear in a Western to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's got like 20 guitar and the same yeah. Southern accent. Yeah, well, there's a I song think, called "Get Along, Little Doggy," like which is like an old yeah, like, yeah, it's an old like trail song. So I don't, I don't think so. I would just assume that's the reference because the song that's playing is "Get Along, Little Sheep." Is that the reference? Yes. God. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, but, uh, with the sheep. <laughs> I don't even pick it up. I've, I, my head was in the clouds. I guess I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's an enjoyable episode. Like you said, it's kind of. Um, it's kind of a typical episode at this point in the season because it has all the elements that you think of. You know, you have the banana stand, you've got Hello, um, or Anyong, as he's he's known by this family. You know, you've got the the company building something, which is unusual, but that's kind of what you would expect from a company like this. You've got the interaction between the three brothers, like the kind of the rivalry between Job and Buster and between Job and Michael. You know, you've got Lindsay being super lazy, even though she gets a job in this particular episode. She's very bad at it. You know, when she's standing there talking to George Michael, trying to kind of cover up for the fact that she's lost the entire staff, the light just falls off the wall behind her. And that's kind of indicative of, like, she she tried to work, but unfortunately, because she's so lazy and kind of non-committal, um, you know, we've got Tobias... Seriously, in fact, it's weird because he's seriously pursuing his acting career at this point. You know, going into prison to do some research is apparently something that Steve Buscemi would do, and it's interesting that Tobias is actually kind of firmly committed to that. So that's kind of admirable that he's 
he's you know taking that next step to to kind of become a proper actor felt really typical the whole time and i think a lot of this conversation brought out a lot more of my admiration for it partially from just learning that it was the origin of, of a few of those things that i thought it was just doing typically but then the super deft sheep layering uh, all the parallels you know with the two different photo booths or any of those connections that are symmetrical just just reminded me i haven't watched a show in a while and it was great to be reminded how absolutely perfectly structured it is every single thing has a purpose chances are it'll happen in a mirror way later everyone is doing their own personality at their best and even though i didn't i, I kind of wanted some kitty i wouldn't have minded a few of the other supporting guest characters i i really i love the way this was put together and uh, if it is a, if it is one of your standard episodes it's indicative of how well put together the show is so it i kind of turned around on it by the end yeah i was gonna say one little thing i missed from the cutscenes is um we see tobias in the yard with white power bill and george is kind of trying to you know, talk talk about himself as a prophet, and he's got nothing to give but his wisdom. And then Tobias is like, "Oh, I bet this guy's got like a grand shoved up his keister." And it's it's like he's like basically putting George Senior in more danger without realizing it. Um, so I get the feeling that kind of plays into why um, George Senior decided to sell him for a pack of cigarettes was because he's basically a risk to just to him. Constantly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even though he, like, requested it. On the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake. So on episode 16, which will be called Missing Kitty, my guests will be Steve Guntley and Alison Segan. And we'll be talking about Kitty, um, because uh, she will disappear a- along with the family's yacht. Um, I don't know why Joby's trying to make the yacht disappear, because from what I can tell, that is where he's currently living. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know why he'd make his own home disappear, but... We'll find out in the next episode. Um, so thank you very much, Chris and Malcolm, for joining me. Sure. Um, do, do you have anything that you wish to plug? And I will start with Chris. No, this is... I, I'll have a this, you know. People, people who want to hear me can listen to this episode again. And <laughs> if they liked it, they can say so. And maybe I'll be on another one someday. That's a great policy. Very brave. And Malcolm? Uh, yes, I do. I know you have a lot to I promote. do have a lot. And I, Pick one. Yeah, well, I can, I can condense it really well. <laughs> I I manage the uh, I manage the Comrade Radio network of podcasts. We've got a couple of great indie podcasts on there. My own show is called Apoc Radio, where my co-host and I pretend to be apocalypse survivors and then put on a radio show where we try and find people and talk about entertainment. And then I also have the Comrade Radio podcast, where uh, me and a cycling ho- uh, host from the network come on and basically chat and play some games. All that stuff and all the other great shows are all at ComradeRadio.com. Thanks to both of you for joining me. Sure. Um, Thanks for having us. And otherwise, (laughs) goodbye. Goodbye.